The second reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, reading from chapter 1. I actually will be reading selected verses out of verses 1 through 20. The evangelist Mark writes, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My sermon today concerns the most terrifying word for Presbyterians. The word is not money. You'll get some words about that in coming weeks. No, the most terrifying word for most Presbyterians is the big E, evangelism. And you will note that I waited until my last sermon to dare to bring it up. I'm not sure why Presbyterians are afraid of evangelism. Part of it, of course, may be our temperament. For many of us, faith is a highly personal thing, something we are reluctant to wear on our sleeves or to share with others. Many Presbyterians also carry in their heads an understanding of evangelism shaped by some caricature of an evangelist as a fire-breathing, wild-haired guy in a western shirt with a bolo tie. The problem is you can actually see evangelists like that if you turn on the television, especially on cable. And some of us are burdened by a false sense of good manners. And if there's one thing Presbyterians have, it is good manners. It doesn't seem to be good manners to talk about faith outside of your family, a few church friends, maybe in a Sunday school class. Despite a lot of good work by our denomination to correct our prejudice against evangelists and evangelism, a lot of Presbyterians still don't buy it. And I understand those kinds of concerns. I was probably in the ministry 10 years before I preached a genuine evangelistic sermon. My training had focused on just about every area of theology other than evangelism. Presbyterian ministers get their strokes for being scholarly, polished intellectuals, never offensive, never pushy. Yet the very first words of the first gospel, the gospel of Mark, announce the beginning 
of the euangelion of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The first gospel was an evangelistic tract. Somewhere along the way, we have picked up some misconceptions of what evangelism is all about. Let's look at a few of those as well as considering a couple of fresh conceptions of evangelism. A common misconception is that evangelism is about adding new members to the church. Many Presbyterian churches only discovered evangelism when they looked around and realized, hey, we're losing members left and right. We need to recruit some new members around here. It's time to start an evangelism program. For sure, the membership roles of most churches nowadays are shrinking and increasingly are, shall we say, demographically challenged. And current research confirms what most of us have known for a long time. Every congregation has a lot more members than it does serious disciples. And even among those in the disciples' basket, there are those more or less involved. Evangelism is actually less about building up the membership roles and is more about leading persons to grow in their faith and to act on their faith convictions. Growing a church's membership is akin to registering people to vote. That's a good thing. Evangelism is similar to the process of getting people who are registered to vote to actually go to the polls and vote. D.T. Niles, a pastor and theologian from Sri Lanka, put it this way. Christianity is simply one beggar showing another beggar where to beg for food. Evangelism is nothing more than getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need it. And I don't know anyone who doesn't need it. Evangelism is offering the gospel in a way the good news God offers can be heard and acted upon to those who are already within the flock and fold of the Christian community, as well as those that are on the outside taking a peek in. A second misconception is that evangelism is telling the good news, whereas service or mission is doing the good news. In many people's minds, there is a great dividing line separating those who are concerned with individual salvation and those who are working for world transformation. I think this is a false distinction. Can you work for the principles of justice without demanding justice for specific individuals? And how can you offer good news apart from the real-life needs of persons? I think the definition of evangelism written by retired Princeton Seminary professor Richard Armstrong brings these polarities together in a helpful way. I posted it on the top of your bulletin. 
evangelism is reaching out to others in Christian love, identifying with them, caring for them, listening to them, and sharing faith with them in such a way that they will freely respond and want to commit themselves to trust, love, and obey God as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a member of his servant community, the church. It turns out evangelism is more about listening, responding, and helping than it is about telling. Which means evangelism is first and foremost about relationships and identity. John's gospel puts an interesting twist on the gospel story told by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's gospel is much more theological, reflective, mysterious, and intellectual, if you will. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is the respected, revered, and loved, but generally misunderstood wonder worker and teacher. Jesus is at the center of those gospels start to finish. It is Jesus, for example, who personally recruits the first disciples. But in the gospel of John, being in relationship with Jesus is at the center of the gospel. Jesus is portrayed as having intimate friendships. He stays frequently with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Only in John does Jesus weep upon hearing of Lazarus' death. And it is only in the Gospel of John that Jesus, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Only in the fourth Gospel is the Apostle John referred to as that disciple whom Jesus loved. It is only John who records that Jesus first called Andrew to be a disciple, who then in turn immediately goes and finds his brother Simon Peter. And it is only in the Gospel of John that Jesus calls Philip, who goes and invites Nathaniel to join the band. Now, I don't know which version is closer to how Jesus recruited his followers. John's or Matthew, Mark, and Luke's. I do know that John's version is closer to the way the life of faith we know and have is actually taking place. Persons come to faith through their relationships with people of faith, teachers, friends, persons who demonstrate Christian love. That is how people discover the world of faith, by seeing and experiencing that faith in those they know, respect, and love. Some young people were attending a mission conference, and in their small groups they talked about the ways their churches and their particular homes shared the good news of Christ. When the youth from North America asked an African girl who was in attendance what they did in her country, she gave a startling but simple answer. She said, hey, we don't have professional missionaries or videos or pamphlets or the like. We just send one or two Christian families to live and work in a village. And when people see what Christians are like, then they want 
to be Christians too. Evangelism is less about doing or telling and is more about loving and caring and relating to one another. A third misconception of evangelism is if I do something evangelistic, I will be embarrassed. And the person I approach will be embarrassed. Friends, this has not been my experience at all. My experience has been that people are honored whenever I share with them something that is really important to me. There is nothing embarrassing or awkward about a simple invitation to share something we have found to be worthwhile. We invite people to join our service clubs or bridge clubs or a country club or a swim club or the PTA or a political action group, and we do that without the faintest blush. We even ask our friends for money to support those organizations that are important to us. We invite friends to come over for dinner. Single persons ask other persons out on dates. Well, at least they used to. What then is so unnatural about inviting someone to church? Do you remember that film of more than a few years back now, Field of Dreams? The protagonist had this vision to build a baseball field in the middle of an Iowa cornfield. Midway in the film, the hero becomes discouraged until he hears a voice assuring him with that now classic memorable line, if you build it, they will come. Maybe we need a similar assurance. If we invite them, they will come. Let me assure you, if you invite your friends to share in something which has changed your life, something which has enhanced your life, a faith which has brought you new life, if you invite them, they will come. Oftentimes, when we hear God's word presented, we are issued a challenge, a call to more faithful discipleship, a call to make some sacrifice to go the extra mile, to exercise some deeper spiritual discipline, to be and become something more than we are now. Today, I just want to leave you with one simple thought. Evangelism is really nothing more than inviting. Inviting one's brother or sister or friend or neighbor to hear the good news of Jesus Inviting another person to experience a little of what you have experienced. Inviting someone to come to worship or to attend some church event with you. Inviting. Just like what Andrew and Philip did. Inviting. When you get down to it, that's about all evangelism is. One beggar inviting another beggar to join him in the search for food. My invitation to you today is this. If you are not an active participant in the life of this church or some other religious community, 
I invite you to step a little bit closer to the center of this community of faith to see if you just might find something you wish you had in your life but you don't now have. If you're ready, we are ready to welcome you as a disciple member of this community of faith. If you're not ready to dive in, that's fine too. Stick your little toe in a little bit. Splash around in the shallow end of the pool. No telling what you might find. Some graceful relationships. Bread for the journey. Guidance and direction for living. You take the step. God will do the rest. And for those of you who are active participants in this Christian community, if you have found grace through the bonds which bind us one with another in this church, then invite someone this week to come to church with you next week. Someone new to your neighborhood, a new acquaintance, a new colleague or business associate, someone without a church home, maybe someone who was a member here but hadn't been here lately, you issue the invitation. God will do the rest. Let me assure you, if you invite them, they will come. Too pushy for you? Too unpresbyterian? To invite someone to church? Get over it. And if you can't get over it, it might take time. Then at least invite a friend to something like the upcoming Presbyterian Women's Luncheon or a men's breakfast. Let me tell you, the men's breakfast is about as harmless as they come. Know someone who has recently lost a loved one? Invite, no better, accompany that person to the grief support group that is coming up. Or take in one of the adult education class offerings, such as the current class for parents entitled Boundaries with Kids. Or invite a friend to participate in one of mission outreach programs that we have here at the church, such as tutoring at George Mason. If you're not careful, I know someone who will invite you to work in that right after church today. She's sitting right here. Let me assure you, if you invite them, they will come. God will do the rest. Evangelism Sunday cannot come at a better time in the church's annual calendar, or for that matter, at a better time in the history of this congregation. Two weeks from today is World Communion Sunday, a festive celebration of the worldwide unity of the church, one of the few times that we're actually all on the same page. 
Men and women and boys and girls from all over the world, persons from east and west, south and north, will be gathering around the Lord's table in response to the invitation to live in communion with God. Wouldn't it be great if so also our friends and neighbors, church members, assembled with us around our Lord's table in response to our invitation to live in community with God and with us. Think about it. Then invite someone. You'll be glad you did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.